your Bibles to John chapter 6, verse 52 to 59. If you're using the Pew Bible, you will find the reading at page 892. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. For whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. May God bless our understanding this reading from his holy word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are here before you longing to hear your word in order that our love for you might burn brighter and uh, more hotly, that uh, you might be indeed all the world to us. And so bless not only the reading of your word, but also the proclamation of it, that uh, you may be glorified and that we might fall uh, more and more in love with you. We pray in your name. Amen. We've all seen the pictures um, and the infomercials with the images of the starving children in the third world. And it can be really difficult to look at them very long. Uh, Their stomachs are protruding. Flies are stuck to their face. And they're crying out for something to eat. Let's say that we had a large grocery bag filled with all kinds of nutritious foods and we placed it in front of them. Can you imagine them turning up their noses at such food? Can you think of a scenario where they would actually walk away without getting something to eat if it was freely offered to them? Of course you can't think of such a scenario. They would consume the food. You'd have to beg them to chew before they swallowed. Well, this is the same thing that happens when God draws a person to Jesus Christ for the first time. There's nothing, nothing in all the world that can stop them from coming to Jesus Christ. Spiritually speaking, They are intent on devouring Him. Nothing else matters to them. And so that's why Jesus can say to people to whom He's preaching in Mark chapter 14, 
listen to this statement. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He goes on to say, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then a little later in John, in Mark, I mean in uh, Luke 14, he says, "Any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple." He says the same thing in John chapter 12, verse 25. He says, "Whoever loves his life uh, will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life." And then in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, he told his disciples, he says, Whoever loves father or, mo- or mother more than me is not worthy of me. How can Jesus be so sure that he's not putting up unnecessary barriers and making it too hard for people to become Christians? You know, hating father and mother and wife and children, even your own life? Isn't that a bit extreme for some folks? Renouncing all that you have? I mean, come on! Can really can Jesus really demand that demand of people um, that they give up all this in order to be his disciples? Is he putting up unnecessary barriers to people coming to him? Well, of course not. Jesus is the preacher par excellence. Uh, We look to Him for uh, our own uh, guidance in preaching. Look at John chapter 6. Look at what He said earlier in John chapter 6. We saw this uh, in the last couple of weeks. Verse 37. Jesus in verse 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Or or, or verse 39, And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up at the last day. Finally, look at verse 44. We saw it last week. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. From these verses alone, and we could look at hundreds of others in the Scriptures, but from these verses alone, it is clear that God is, not, is, is, is the one who's not only taking the initiative in our salvation, but He is guaranteeing the results. All that the the Father gives to Christ will come to Him. And Christ will raise up every one of those that the Father has given to Him and will give them eternal life. They come to Jesus Christ because the Father has drawn them. You say, well, where's my free will in all this? Well, the answer is... uh, you would freely never come to God if God did not intervene. 
your will would be exercised against God. You'd remain in your sins and in your spiritually dead condition. And when God the Father draws you, however, you do come to Christ. And you come joyfully and you come willingly. When God renews your soul, your will eagerly follows after Jesus Christ. And so Christ speaks in these uncompromising terms to His hearers in order to create in them a hungering and a thirsting after Him. He knows that they will come to Him as the living bread just as surely as those starving children in those uh, infomercials will eat the bread that is placed before them. Jesus is using extreme language here in our passage. Uh, So look again at uh, verses 52 and 53. Jesus says, uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Look again also at verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. Now, if you're Jesus preaching, surely it is in Jesus' mind that that he's thinking, some of these people misunderstand me and think I'm talking literally about cannibalism. And surely that was the case. Verse 52. Uh, They're saying to themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? But Jesus is using extreme language here in order to to cause them to, to sit up and think. Because He knows He's gotten some of them He's humbled some of them. Remember last week uh, when we were looking at verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up the last day. And I made the point that He's humbling them by saying, You can't come unless the Father who sent me draws him. I talked about how uh, D. James Kennedy talked to the, uh, the young philosopher and told the young philosopher, the reason you're not believing the gospel is because God's not drawn you. And God may never draw you, and so you need to call out to Him that He would have mercy on you. And the young man was humble. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. And we can see evidence that, that, that this is working. Because all the Jews, last week we saw all of them, were united against Jesus. But here... Some of them have been humbled. Verse 52, Then the Jews disputed among themselves. See, why are they disputing? Last week they were all in unison against Jesus. But some of them have been humbled. And so they began fighting within themselves. We're going to see next week that none of them came to Christ. They were initially humbled, but none of them came. But again, that's for next week. But Jesus, is He making a mistake here in using such extreme language? No, of course not. He's speaking metaphorically. 
Uh, it's the same way that he is speaking in Matthew chapter 5. You know the passage where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery, adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Or if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. I do not imagine that any of his hearers reached into their knife and uh, reached into their pocket and pulled out a knife um, and cut off their hands, or reached into their their eyeballs and and plucked out their uh, reached into their eye socket and plucked out their eyeballs. Jesus is speaking in extreme terms to make the point. Now it is true, better to go into eternity completely maimed, blind, paralyzed, without uh, hands, feet, arms, legs, than uh, to be cast, body and soul, completely whole, into hell. And so Jesus is saying here in John uh, chapter 6, when He's talking about eating His flesh and drinking His blood, He's not saying that, that, that they are to be cannibals. Rather, He is talking about a true um, love of Him. He is talking in metaphorical language for what it means to really trust in Him. There are a lot of Christians, quote-unquote Christians, who name the name of Christ, but yet are indifferent to Christ. Oh, I walked an aisle. I made a profession of faith. I signed the prayer card. I joined the church. And they're basically indifferent to Christ. They may get excited about things in the church. may get excited about certain doctrines. But when it comes to Christ, they're indifferent. Jesus says, here in verse 53, Truly, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. In other words, you cannot be indifferent to Christ. He is talking about an intimate love with Him. An intimate relationship with Him. He is saying that He is most important to you. That you are devouring Him spiritually. That you, in your heart and soul, want nothing more than Jesus Christ. That He satisfies you spiritually. Here's where I, I hear a lot of people make a mistake. Where they will say, just as long as I believe in Jesus... I have eternal life. But that believing in Jesus is also a love for Jesus. It's a devotion to Jesus. And that's why Jesus is saying in these passages we read earlier, 
if you don't hate father and mother and sister and brother, even your own life, you cannot be not my disciple. If you love your father and mother more than me, you cannot be my disciple. It is faith in Jesus Christ. It is trusting in Christ. It is believing in Him. But that belief is also a love for Him. So we have in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that for those who... It doesn't say believe God, uh, that all things work together for good. It says for those who love God. Or... Uh, Second Corinthians, uh, First Corinthians, chapter two, verse nine. But no eye has seen, nor ear heard, what the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared, not for those who simply believe in Him, but for those who love Him. What is your relationship with Jesus Christ like? Do you love Him? Is He all the world to you? Is He first and foremost? Are you willing to denounce and renounce your own life because you so love Him? That's what Jesus is saying here. He is saying, this is what it means to have a relationship with me. You devour Him. Or going back to a sermon two weeks ago with the love letter um, with the guy in combat who drinks in every word from the letter and sniffs it over and over just to catch a, a scent of her perfume on the letter. Because you so love her. Well, this is what Jesus is saying to, the, 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 to His hearers. Are you going to love me? Are you going to devote yourself to me? That's what true faith is. It is, it is having a relationship with Him that is so close to Him that He can describe it in terms of eating His flesh and drinking His blood. See, when God draws us to Himself... In John, in John 6.44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. When God draws us to the Lord Jesus, it's a miracle of grace because He's revealing to us the beauty of Jesus Christ. He's revealing to us His eternal, um, His eternal nature that He is the Son of God. And not only the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, who left His perfection in heaven and came down here to earth and took on human flesh and suffered and bled and died for the ungodly. And when you begin to see that, you see it because God is at work in you and your heart is filled with love and you wanting more than anything else. And so, as you come to Him and have that closest of all possible relationships, 
there's some uh, byproducts. These byproducts are very are wonderful. They're the best byproducts uh, that you could ever have. And what I mean by byproducts are, are things that flow from your salvation in Jesus Christ, your relationship with Him. Uh, look with me at the Scriptures, verse 53. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. In other words, if you do eat His flesh and you do drink His blood, you who have no life in you suddenly have life. He regenerates you spiritually. He causes you to be born again. And so now, you who were dead in your sins now have life in you. He made you alive. And not only that, He also says, verse 54, that He will raise you up on the last day. And so another byproduct of this intimate relationship with Jesus Christ is because you are in Him, you will be where He is. And so He is going to come back and He is going to raise... Your, your soul immediately goes to Him because you're in Him. But even your body, He is going to raise you up on the last day. And you will forever be where He is. And not only that, there's a third byproduct. Again, it's in verse 53. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Oftentimes we make the mistake of, of taking this as the only reason for salvation. We want eternal life. It's only a byproduct. It really is. It's only a byproduct. The treasure is not eternal life. The treasure is Christ. Do you love Him? And then the fourth byproduct is actually the real treasure. Verse 56, Whoever feeds on My flesh and drinks My blood abides in Me. This is what Jesus is talking about. He uses this word abides to, to uh, make clear what He's talking about by using this extreme language of, of eating His flesh and drinking His blood. You abide in Him. That means that you're, you will fellowship with Him. And you will fellowship with Him not only in heaven, but even now. It's a present abiding, uh, present tense. You abide with Him today, tomorrow, through this week. He has promised to never leave you or forsake you. In fact, the Lord's table is a, is a physical promise to us. He says, eat and drink from this table until He comes back for His church. In other words, He is coming back for His church. And so, we abide with Christ. Let me just ask you, what is your relationship with Jesus Christ like? Do you humbly, or do you eagerly seek Him like the child in the infomercials would, would uh, seek the food place before them? Or are you kind of indifferent? What is your life with Jesus Christ? What is your relationship with Him? We're going to come before the Lord's table in a couple of moments.
And I want you to ask that question in your heart as part of your preparation for the Lord's Supper. Because here in the Lord's Supper, symbolically speaking, we are eating His flesh and drinking His blood. Symbolically speaking, these are very ordinary elements. The bread remains the bread. The contents of the cup remains the contents of the cup. It doesn't magically change into Jesus' body and blood. But when we partake of it, we are proclaiming to Jesus, we love you. We adore you. We want you more than anything else, even our own life. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that You would be with us now as we gather before Your table. And God, I ask that every one of us would so love the Lord Jesus that all the things of this world would grow strangely dim, that Jesus would be all the world to us. We ask in His name. Amen.